Oh, foolish Galatians, he says. Not, a, not something you want to hear an apostle say to you. Um, some have translated this, Oh, you irrational Galatians. I like foolish Galatians. It's more of uh, more st- Paul's style to kind of act like a parent to, to his uh, father, to his children who are acting foolish. And, you know, they're throwing uh, things in the house and a window gets broken. And you say, oh, foolish children. <laughs> you can hear the force behind his words. Um, I was a camp counselor uh, for many years. And I noticed a lot of kids did some very foolish things, some of which resulted in some serious damage to both person and property. I remember being in a creek in Canada, working as a counselor up there, and this little boy, he just picked up a a mussel. They had these mussels in the, the creek there, these kind of shells, like, you know, bivalves. He just picked it up and just threw it, like, just threw it in the direction of a group of people, just unthinking, not really thinking about hit somebody in the head. It was a big thing. Everybody lived, thankfully. But it was it was just like he just really wasn't wasn't really paying attention to what was happening. Um, it wasn't malicious in any way. Just, you know, um, children do foolish things. And that's how we try to patiently, you know, try to teach them how to not do that stuff anymore. Um, and so Paul is saying that to these Galatians. The church in Galatia was probably one of the most remote churches of, that Paul writes to in any of his epistles. Galatia is a pretty big area um, geographically, and there's, there's a lot of Jewish people that live there, but there's also a lot of Gentiles that live there. So it's probably one of the, the more mixed areas uh, where Jews and Christians and Gentiles were all mingling around together. And if you follow the argument in the readings, um, this, this tension they have between do new converts to Christianity have to become Jewish? Do they have to be circumcised? Or do they, are they allowed to follow the, uh, the, the teachings of the Jerusalem Council? The apostles met and decided in a church council that uh, they would not require circumcision for new converts to Christianity. And aren't we glad for that? And uh, when we think about the authority of the church councils, even in the ancient times of the Bible, the council of the church there was authoritative. That's one of the reasons we don't require the, the, a Christian to follow every single tenet of the Jewish law as contained in the Old Testament. That's the reason, because a, a group of people got together and made a decision. It wasn't an easy decision. It was actually a very hard decision, full of great tension and turmoil. And yet these human beings, guided by the Holy Spirit, made this decision that still stands today in our church. We have that record of it, thankfully. But the Galatians... Um, seem to have a group of people that some have termed the Judaizers. They are a group of Christians who are very adamant that every single convert, Gentile convert, has to be circumcised if they're male. They have to keep the entire codex of laws that are written in the five books of Moses. They have to keep all these uh, teachings. And they are so adamant about it that Paul gets really angry because what they're doing is they're wounding the new Christians who are coming into the church, people that are becoming healed. They're, they're finding freedom in Christ. They're finding out that some man died for them on a cross, and a Roman cross, uh, no less. He was the lowest of the low. He was despised and rejected by his people. And he's someone that these people in Galatia can relate to. And so they start following him through the teachings of the apostles and the early church leaders. And suddenly they meet these Judaizers who say, 
let me, hey, can I talk to you over after church? They pull them aside and they say, listen, you've got to start keeping these rules or, um, you know, you've got to get circumcised. And you can imagine the tension of that. So Paul is incensed. He's saying, you foolish Galatians. He's really talking about the, the people that are pushing this agenda on the church. The count, church council's rule. This is what they've decided. And these guys are coming in. And so he makes his case. And out of this case comes one of the most beautiful pictures of who we are in Jesus Christ. He says that Abraham um, believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. That the real faith of Abraham was not that he followed the law. Abraham lives before the law. Abraham lives long before Moses is born and issues the law. Abraham is, is long before we have the Ten Commandments, long before we have any of the early laws. But what he does have is he has faith. He believes God, and it's that belief, that faith, that is counted for righteousness before God. It is that faith that makes him holy before God. It is not anything he does or doesn't do. Paul keeps coming back to this point as he um, tries to get them to see by argument, trying to argue with them and say, listen, Abraham is like the Gentiles. He's more like the Gentiles than he is like us, the Jewish believers. He was just a guy living out in the desert. And when God called him and said, come and follow me, and he goes off into the the wilderness to find God and to search for the city that God had made for him. And along the way, he demonstrates his faith because he leaves his house and leaves his home and does that. He does all these demonstrations of his faith when he's when he goes and offers Isaac as a sacrifice, when he does these things that seem really difficult to us looking back in history. And so this is what justifies Abraham. And this is the fact, this is how we relate to Jesus, that Jesus became the curse for us. He was cursed under the law. Under the law that God had given to Moses, he was, a, he was accounted as an accursed person. He was hung on a tree. Anyone who hangs on the tree dies a shameful death. We look at the lynchings that happened in Texas and all across America and all around the world. The lynchings where someone was hung on a tree uh, to, as a symbol not only of that the, that the community could kill them without any, any impunity, that white people could gather outside of prison, drag someone out and kill them without any mercy or any trial or anything um, and get away with it, that that kind of power was also the curse that they put on those people, that they hung on a tree. We still, um, uh, some countries around the world still practice death by hanging, Japan being a notable one of that. Um, that still practices death by hanging because it's a very visible symbol of shame that someone would be that have that done to them. And Jesus is hanging on the cross. He dies much as a hanging victim would die of asphyxiation. He can't breathe. He's unable to breathe. And so he dies of, of giving out his breath, as it says. His spirit is given out on the cross. And so this curse that Jesus became for us is what justifies us. It's not the stuff we do or don't do. In fact, if you try to keep the law in every one of its points, you're going to stumble on one of them. There's going to be a slip somewhere along the way. The law is more like an x-ray. If you, I had a CT scan the other week. If you go under the CT scan, it doesn't cure you. It doesn't make you any better. In fact, it might make you a little worse if you do it too much, the radiation. What it does do is tells you what's wrong. It tells us what's wrong with us. The Ten Commandments, as we run through them, we find out, wow, I've broken a few of these um, in different ways, maybe that I didn't know. And Jesus teaches how we break the Ten Commandments all the time. 
You have heard it said, do not murder. Well, I say to you, if you've hated your brother in your heart, you've committed murder, Jesus says. Jesus always is going for the spirit of the law and saying we've all broken the law, every single one of us. And so this is why Jesus has died for us. And so when you add an extra requirement on the gospel to say this is how people are justified, that they have to do this stuff, that's where we go off the rails as Christians. And we do this, try to do this again and again. Um, and if you've ever grown up in church as a kid, you may have had somebody try to put stuff on you that wasn't necessarily part of the gospel. So the church has a tendency to kind of always drift into this direction, um, which has nothing to do with the Old Testament law. It has to do with the human heart that is trying always to make extra requirements for God's grace. And so we who follow this cursed man, who took the curse for us, find that our curse is lifted. We are not under the curse any longer. Whatever was written against us has been undone, has been blotted out. Our sins have been, have been put as far away as the east is to the west, and we live in that reality that no matter when our shame comes up, when our regrets, our failures, all those things come up, we say, that was put on the cross of Christ, and we don't have to bear it anymore.